Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. If you asked me for a synonym for the Holy Spirit, the word I would choose is the word love. Love is the greatest thing in the world. Love is the very purpose of our lives. And what the Holy Spirit does and brings to our life is all about love. We finished last week by looking at the fact that every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within them. That's what it means to be a Christian, Paul says. He says, Romans 8 9, if anyone does not have the Holy Spirit, they don't belong to Christ. So everyone has the Holy Spirit who is a Christian. But not every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't write this to the Christians in Ephesus where he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He contrasts it in a way with getting drunk. He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it says it's like a form of intoxication. Being filled with the Spirit, but it's, it's a sober intoxication. It's the only kind of intoxication that doesn't leave you with a hangover afterwards. And he says that, that this is something you can go on doing. It's not a one-off experience being filled with the Holy Spirit. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit over and over again is how the tense of the language is written. So what's the difference between a Christian who has the Holy Spirit living within them and someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something we probably haven't really come across or, or even heard preached on often, I don't think either. But it's a bit like this. We used to have a hot water service uh, system in, in a house in Adelaide, and it was a gas tank hot water system. And so the pilot light was always on. But yet when the temperature dropped, you know, when I was having a shower and new water came in, there'd be like this as the gas came on, as the burners lit. And I guess that's the difference between someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, they're a little like the Christian, 
and those who are Christians just with a pilot light on. We, we all have the Holy Spirit, but just some are filled with the Holy Spirit and are filled more often than others. So this is what Paul is, is speaking of here. And in the book of Acts, we see five occasions when people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are different categories of people, and you may fall into one of these five categories. The first category is people who are longing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps there's someone here and and you say, you know, this... This is what I'm longing for, to be filled with the Spirit. And if you're longing to be filled with the Spirit, you will be. On the day of Pentecost, there was a group of people who were longing to be filled. They'd been praying and then suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them, no one missed out. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's the first category, people who are longing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second category is those who are receptive. Maybe you're saying, well, I can't honestly say I'm longing to be filled with the Spirit, but but I'm open, I'm receptive. If that's what the Spirit wants to do, we'll let him come, you know. And that might be where most of us might sit today. Who knows? Acts 8, 14 to 17 uh, gives us the story of the Samaritans. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you're open, you can receive the Holy Spirit today. The third category is people who are hostile. It's just possible that there may be somebody here who says, that's me, I'm in that category I don't really like this. I don't agree with all this stuff. Maybe say, I'm I'm an atheist. Or maybe you just don't like all the talk about the, the Holy Spirit and you feel a bit hostile. Well, no one in history has been more hostile than the person who came, who became the Apostle Paul. He was there when Stephen became the first person to be murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. He was participating in the martyrdom of Stephen. After that, he went around breathing out murderous threats against Christians. And he went around arresting them, putting them in prison. And while he was doing that, and on the way to carrying on doing even more of that, He was on the road to Damascus where he had requested special permission to go and target, imprison and kill Christians there where he encountered Jesus. Jesus appeared to him. The risen Jesus appeared to Paul. It was like blinding light. In fact, he went blind 
So I guess that blinding light worked. And then we read this. Ananias, who'd been instructed by God to go and see Paul, Acts 9 verse 7, says, Placing his hands on Saul, Saul and Paul are interchangeable names for the Apostle Paul. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Talk about transformation. He was someone who was totally hostile. He encountered Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately he was out there telling people, Jesus is the Son of God. Robert Taylor was an atheist. He was 41 years of age and he'd been to church four times in his life. He'd been to his wedding, his brother's wedding and two funerals. That was his entire church attendance record. He was successful in his business, unsuccessful in his marriage. Uh, He'd left his his wife and two young children. And one time he was doing a business um, deal and, and this guy said to him, you know, Robert, have you ever thought about doing Alpha? Robert said, nah, I wouldn't dream of doing the Alpha course. I'm an atheist. Ten days later, he was doing another business deal and this guy said to him, you know, Robert, have you ever thought about doing Alpha? He said, that's what the other guy said. Maybe he thought he should go along and give it a go. So he turned up to an Alpha course and on the first night he said he was determined to let everybody in his small group know he was not interested. So there was, you know, a time where he gave his opening remarks in the group and the first night he said, look, I nearly died of cancer when I was 30 years of age. I find life pretty difficult and not a great deal of fun. As far as I'm concerned, eternal life is the last thing I want. And he said that caused a little bit of a dampener on the group. Bruce, who was leading the group, said, hmm, that's a very interesting point of view. And the course continued. (laughs) And over the course, he encountered Jesus and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said. I felt a real glow and, and had to sit down. As I sat down, I started crying. I couldn't stop That night I knew I had become a Christian. Everyone said I was beaming like a Cheshire cat. Two days later, he went to tell his wife who he'd left and she said, oh no, Robert, here you go again. First we had sailing, then we had scuba diving, then we had tennis and now we've got this. And he was determined to show her that this was different. And so she said to him, okay, Robert, If it makes so much difference, why don't you come back and live with us? So he did. Ten days later, he moved back in with his wife and children. His two young children thought it was, in their own words, completely fantastic. Samuel, their eldest son, was seven at the time, and he was so excited that he started reading the Bible. And he came across the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, 
And he was so excited, he said to his dad, 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 I'm in the book, not once, but twice. (laughs) One time he looked out the window and he saw his two sons had taken two sticks and formed them into the shape of a cross. And he said, what are you doing? And Samuel said, we're thanking Jesus for bringing you home. That guy's life was completely changed. After he'd finished the Alpha course, he was asked to lead a group for the next one. He said, me? Lead a group? He said, I've been a Christian for three weeks. I've been an atheist for 41 years. How could I lead an Alpha group, he said. But he did. And in the second week of that course, Robert was found in a Christian bookshop and he had a pile of books. Someone asked him what he was doing with all the books. He said, oh, it's like this. In the group last week, they asked me all these questions. I didn't know the answer to any of their questions, so I came into the bookshop, I bought a whole lot of books, and I studied until three o'clock in the morning, and I did that every night of the week. And he said, the trouble is, the questions they asked me this week are totally different, and so now I've had to buy all these books. He was on a very sharp learning curve. He'd gone from somebody totally opposed, like the Apostle Paul, to someone who was telling other people Jesus really is the Son of God because he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. The fourth group is the uninformed. There may be somebody like this here today. You say, look, I've been around Christian circles for a bit. Maybe say I was baptised as a baby even. Maybe you were confirmed. Maybe you've been to church or or even, you know, go quite regularly to church, but you say, I have never heard all of this stuff about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, What baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus Christ. On hearing this, they were baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, Acts 19, 1-6. Maybe you've never really heard much teaching on the Holy Spirit. And maybe there has been this vacuum of information about the Holy Spirit that is being filled in for you. You might have been coming along to church for years and maybe this is the first time you maybe even really begin to understand the Holy Spirit because you have been uninformed. The fifth group is the unlikely Maybe there's someone in that category here today. You say, this would never happen to me. I'm not the religious type. This kind of thing just just, just wouldn't happen to me. Well, the ancient world was divided into two groups, the religious, the Jews, and those who were not the religious type, the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, we read of the first occasion when a group of Gentiles was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was shocking because... I don't know whether you realise this, all the first Christians were Jews. They didn't think it was possible to be a Christian unless you became a Jew first. 
So they didn't believe that someone who was not the religious type, a Gentile, could be filled with the Spirit. So it took a lot. And what happened was God gave a vision to a man named Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and his family, and also a vision to the Apostle Peter. And as a result of that, Peter came to Cornelius' house and he gathered a whole lot of people together who were all Gentiles. And then Peter told them about Jesus, the cross, the resurrection. And while he was talking, this is what happened. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish believers, who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, even on the non-religious. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Acts 10, 44 to 46. So what happened? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us the experience of being filled with the Spirit is this. It's the love of God. They experienced the love of God. God's love for you and for me being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's what they experienced. They experienced God's love for them being poured into their hearts. And then it seems like there were physical manifestations of this because they said, look, What's happened to them is exactly what happened to us on the day of Pentecost. What happened to them on the day of Pentecost? Well, we read that earlier. There were tongues of fire, the wind of the Holy Spirit. What does this symbolize? Well, fire is like passion and purity. And sometimes when people are filled with the Spirit, they experience like fire within them, not literal fire, but people have often described it as feeling a warm glow that, that wasn't to do with the temperature of the room. I'm not sure about you, but when I feel like I'm you know, praying like the, in line with God's will, I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is right there, you know, praying those words through me, with me, whatever it is. But I do get this sensation and not quite like the hair stand up in the back of your neck, but you know, it's something similar. Like there's, this, there's just this feeling that sort of think, yes, this is what God wants me to be doing right in this moment. And sometimes it's like wind. You know, the Hebrew word for wind is the same as for spirit. It's ruah. It's an onomatopoeic word. It's like the breath of God coming into a person. And this has at times been seen and experienced in different ways. And these, these are physical manifestations of the Spirit that they experienced on the day of Pentecost. And they probably experienced here in this passage too because they recognise it as the same thing. They go, hold on, the day of Pentecost, this happened to me. And then now we're here with these Gentiles and the exact same thing's happening. Now, these physical manifestations, they're not what it's all about. It's all about God's love for you. So don't focus on the physical manifestations. Some may happen, some may not. That's not what it's all about. It's about God's love being poured into your hearts. That's what matters. 
not the physical manifestation. It's a bit like if you're falling in love with someone, you sort of you know, get the little tingles in your spine. You say, wow, i got these physical manifestations. i got these tingles in my spine. That was amazing. Google tingles in the spine. How can I get seven ways to get tingles in the spine? You know, you wouldn't do that. That's not how you'd go after that experience. You wouldn't try and, you know, search it up and how can I get more of that? You wouldn't search out the physical manifestations. You'd pursue the person. Not the experience, but the person. And, and, and it's the same with the Holy Spirit. Don't pursue physical manifestations Pursue God, pursue Jesus, pursue the Holy Spirit. We all need to experience love. This is the, the deepest human need. Love is, is the deepest human emotion. Everyone needs to experience love in their life. You know, I heard about a couple who'd been married for 50 years. They were celebrating their golden wedding anniversary and this couple had argued all the way through their marriage. They'd argued day in, day out, week in, month, week in, out, month in, month out. And the family were astonished that they'd reached their 50th wedding anniversary. And they got together and thought, what on earth can we buy mum and dad for their 50th wedding anniversary? The only thing, that, only thing they could think of was a visit to a top consultant psychiatrist. So they agreed that they would send them to this psychiatrist. The couple couldn't agree about whether to accept it or not. They argued. All the way to the appointment, they were arguing. As they went through the door, they were still arguing. They went into the psychiatrist's office. He had a big desk. And he asked them one question and they started arguing. And he said, stop, look, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something that I've never, ever done before in my entire professional career. He got up from behind his big desk. He walked around the other side. He took the little old lady in his arms. He hugged her, kissed her on the lips for a very long time and then he turned to the husband and said, now this is what this woman needs three times a week. The husband said, okay, doctor, if that's what you say, I'll bring her in Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. <laughs> what the psychiatrist was saying was this woman needs to experience love. That is the deepest human need. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. On the cross, we understand God loves us. Jesus died for you. That's how you know that God loves you. Through the Holy Spirit, you feel God's love. God loves you so much that if you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you. He loves you personally and he wants you to know that love personally. Certainly in my experience, it's not something that you necessarily feel constantly. But from time to time, we have experiences of his love, the feeling of being loved by God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So they experience God's love for them. Secondly, these people, they were released to express their love for God. 
When we've experienced God's love for us, we have, a, we have a love for God, which we want to express. It overflows for God and for other people. And what we see here is they started praising God. St. Augustine is perhaps the greatest theologian of the church. And he wrote this, like, like a, a prayer to God. The thought of you stirs a person so deeply that they cannot be content unless they praise you because you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. Lovely, lovely words. That's what worship's all about. That's why we sing the songs we sing, which are mainly about God's love for us and about our love for God. And it's okay to express emotion in our relationship with God. And I know that some of us are a little bit suspicious of emotion. We may have been brought up to never cry. You know, today's the one-year anniversary of my nan's death. And Serena commented at the funeral, that's the first time she'd seen me cry. And I'm like, well, you haven't listened to many of my sermons then. I used to cry a lot when I was preaching. <laughs> and, and some of us may have even picked that up in our faith as well, though, this, this lack of emotion, that we should be totally unemotional. But Jesus wasn't brought up like that. And he wasn't like that. He was a Hebrew and Hebrews expressed emotion. And emotion is a very important part of our faith and of our love for God. We need to be free to express our emotion to God. But what's quite interesting is that even the most unemotional Aussie blokes express emotion on really important occasions like footy games. But why not express it in our relationship with God, which is far more important? And we need to be free to express with our whole bodies. You know, it is okay if you want to raise your hands in worship. It's not a problem. Do you know that that is how the Jews expressed their worship? That's how the Christians in antiquity expressed their worship. The New Testament talks about raising holy hands in prayer to God. That's the traditional form of prayer. Pope Benedict wrote in his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, about why we do that. He said, it's because it's like opening ourselves to God. It's like more surface area for God. It's the opposite of this, which is don't come anywhere near me, God. So it's a traditional form of worship. So if you walk into a church and, and, and everyone has their arms in the air like this, you could say, wow, I've come to a church which is practicing ancient forms of worship. If they've all got their hands by their side, that's also fine. You know, just like some of us raise, some of us doesn't. It's not a problem. You can say though, if everyone's got their hands down, I've come to a modern trendy church experimenting with new forms of worship. So we are free to express our love, our worship to God as they did. Um, I pastored in a Brethren church um, for a few years, a while ago. And um, a lot of Brethren churches, the, the sort of decor was very similar because they're all sort of built around similar time. They have lining board that comes up to sort of, you know, waist height. And uh, it, was, it was explained to me by a member of the church one time is that that's as, as, as far high as you can lift your hands. 
If it goes over the lining board, no, nope, that's too far. It was a joke, but I think that was semi-serious. <laughs> Thirdly, they received a new love language. They started, as it says in Acts, speaking in tongues. Now, this can be a controversial topic in the church, so let's explore it a bit. What is speaking in tongues? Well, it's important to say this. First, not all Christians speak in tongues. It's not the mark of being a Christian. It's not the mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There are no first-class Christians who speak in tongues and second-class Christians who don't speak in tongues. It's not the most important gift of the Holy Spirit. So why am I talking about it? Well, for this reason. In the New Testament, it's often the first of the more supernatural gifts of the Spirit that people receive. What Paul talks about is two different types of tongues. He talks about human and angelic tongues. Angelic tongues are different from human tongues. Human tongues are where God gives us a language that we've not learnt but is a recognisable human language. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. As you heard, all the people, if you go through this, there's people from all over the region and the Christians were praising God and they all heard them in their own tongue. I spoke in my language, they heard in theirs, right? So that was what happened there at the day of Pentecost. And in that sense, it's, it's expressing God's love for them so they can be, so they can and hear and have no barrier to hearing glory being given to God. And it's a recognisable human language that the person's not learnt. A friend of mine, Enoch, once recounted how he was in a city church praying with a group of uni students like he was at the time and someone walked into their prayer meeting and asked who spoke their native language. None of them did. And so they asked the person what they heard. And they said they heard praises being made to God spoken fluently in their native language which no one in the room spoke. That's tongues. Known language communicating God's love to others. And then Paul also refers to what is called angelic tongue. And Paul says that this is a form of prayer. He says when he prays in tongues, his spirit prays. In other words, it's a way of expressing what you feel here without going through the process of putting it into language that you know. You know it is in, uh, how it is in human conversation. Sometimes you, you want to express something, but you can't quite find the words and you say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, oh, I just can't get the word. I can't quite say what I'm trying to mean. I'm, you know, I can't quite find the words for it. But you have to find the words in a human conversation because otherwise you can't understand each other. With God, he may give you this language that frees you up from the necessity of putting it into language that you already speak. So it's like your very inner thoughts and feelings are expressed straight to God. That's one of the gifts that the Spirit gives of tongues. But it's not compulsory and it's not necessarily a mark of being filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> you can be filled with the Spirit and not speak in tongues. 
There are churches that will say, if you do not speak in tongues, you are not saved. And that is false. That is a lie. That is not the truth. But logically, we have to ask, what are the barriers to being filled with the Holy Spirit? Luke chapter 11, if you'd like to be filled with the Spirit, here's some of the things that may be going on in your mind. The first is doubt. Doubt like this, you say, if, if I asked, I don't think I would receive. So I say to you, Jesus says this, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. And, you know, the disciples are probably looking a bit doubtful at the time. And so he says again, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. And you're thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe my neighbour you know, if they ask, maybe, maybe the person sitting next to me, but, but, but no. And so Jesus go on, for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Everyone includes you. If you ask, and it is God's will, you will receive. But what we ask is really important. We should ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to give us gifts, to activate them within us. But if we ask for specific gifts or manifestations of the Spirit, He might not always say yes, because God knows what we need. When I was in my late teens and early 20s, I used to ask regularly that God would give me the gift of speaking in tongues. But God has never answered that prayer yet. He hasn't given me that gift. And you know what? That's okay. He's given me plenty of other ones. So so that's doubt. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open to you. So ask, seek, seek. And not. We should ask regularly to be filled with this Spirit and to ask that He give and activate His gifts within us. And then next they go, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm convinced I would receive, but I'm not sure I want it. What would happen to me? Will I be one of those like super spiritual, like floozy people that I've sort of really been trying to avoid? Would something terrible happen? If I ask, is is something awful going to happen to me? Well, Jesus says this. Which of you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, he forgets the chips there, it's really annoying. If he asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, will give them a scorpion? If you then, though, you're evil, he says, you're a pretty evil bunch, really, and we are, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Interesting words spoken by Jesus. Which of you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, will give them a snake instead, or an egg, a scorpion? If you know, even though you're evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children... The logic here is how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you, right? That's the logical words to choose. But he doesn't say give good gifts. He says give the Holy Spirit.
spirit to those who ask. He doesn't just give us good gifts. He gives the Holy Spirit. He says he's not going to give you anything terrible. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. The third barrier is inadequacy. It's a feeling like I'm not good enough. I'm not far enough advanced with this journey into faith to receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe later when, when, I'm, when I'm more mature. But Jesus doesn't say how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to people who are mature in their faith or who've lived a good life or, or who are advanced Christians. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, shall we ask him? Are you prepared to be bold enough today to ask him for the Holy Spirit? We're going to sing a song in a moment, which is the one we sung just before I preached, which the chorus basically goes, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Is that the attitude that we have, welcoming the Holy Spirit? Or are we at arm's length with the Holy Spirit standing off? I'd encourage us all to pray this prayer with me as we invite the Spirit to work in us and through us and to give us good gifts, to give us and activate those gifts within us. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have given us so much. We know that you love us because you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and that act of his death and resurrection has not only saved us but has given us, for all of those who believe, has given us the seal of your Holy Spirit who now lives within us for all eternity. But Lord, we know that at times we feel really close to you. At times we feel far away. And Lord, we, we have looked this morning at your word, which says that we, although we all have the Holy Spirit, there's no question there. Not all of us may necessarily be filled with the Holy Spirit every moment, all the time. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray right now that we would indeed be open to the Spirit, that, Lord, we would have an, have, have an attitude of welcoming your Holy Spirit in us to fill us, that, Lord, we would ask that you would give us the Holy Spirit, that he would fill us, and that, Lord, he would give us gifts and activate those gifts within us for your glory. And so, Lord, this morning I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come into each one of us and fill us. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would experience and, and not only know your love, but we would feel your love as Holy Spirit fills us. Lord, may we feel your love and that intimacy we have with you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Fill us, I pray.
Amen.